This is a remote dating podcast where we share outlandish dating stories from people struggling with the new dating landscape. In season two, Be My Carry On Baggage, we look at how the coronavirus pandemic is going to impact the future of dating. We'll get insights from digital nomads who have been navigating dating under extreme circumstances for years, as well as stories from people who have been locked down in love. This is season two, episode four, International Dating Station. I'm Ellie. And I'm Kayla. We're your hosts for Dating Abroad, a podcast about unconventional dating stories. In this episode, we'll be doing things a little differently. We're each going to read an article or two about our past nomadic dating lives. Welcome to our holiday special. We hope you enjoy it. All right, I will start us off by reading a piece called Written in the Stars, which was originally published by Intrepid times. This piece is about my trip to Ecuador back in 2018 and as dedicated listeners may remember, uh, I did have a romantic visitor come to travel with me and spoiler alert, it didn't work out so well in the end. Written in the stars. Grey nose hair is the first thing I see emerge from the steam wafting off the mineral pool followed by a man's voice. You come here a lot, he says, standing up, bringing his belly to sit on the water like a sloth resting on a tree branch, his leathery face coming into view. What of it, I want to demand, immediately defensive before I know what he wants to tell me. If you've seen me here, that means you're here all the time too, I think. But, never as brave as the version of myself in my head, I just nod. I usually come to the hot pools at night, but now, my last day in Banos, Ecuador, I've come in the afternoon, so I have time to catch an overnight bus. The springs seem different in the day. Everything is clearer. I can see the emerald green forests blanket the mountains around us, glinting in the sun's rays, and a handful of older Ecuadorians are lounging in the rocky sulfuric pools. Where are you from, he asks. I tell him Canada, and he grins. I lived in Canada in a past life. How many past lives have you had, I ask? This is my seventh, the first in India, the next in Israel, then in Canada, and the last four here in Ecuador. The cool mountain breeze hits my chest, so I lower into the steaming water, coming face to face with the man's belly. I want to ask how he remembers his lives, how he knows he is the same soul reincarnated in different bodies and generations and countries, but we haven't gotten to that week in Spanish class yet, so I nod again. You have a boyfriend, he asks me. No, I respond, nervous that he's going to either try to hit on me or scold me but I'm wrong on both counts. Very good. I will tell you how to find your soulmate. What year and month were you born? Finally, someone who is dedicated to securing my romantic future. I tell him my birthday and he begins calculating on his fingers. You must find someone born on an odd number when you add the last two digits of their birth year. It is crucial for you. I run through the ages of the guys I'm seeing. They both land on odd numbers and I breathe a sigh of relief. One of them is currently traveling with me in Ecuador. While I wonder if my frequent trips to the hot springs are a thinly veiled attempt to avoid spending time with him, I'm glad the numerological forces of the universe aren't pushing me to end things with him yet. I tell the man about my relief. This is excellent news, he says. Many people in my family have chosen wrong, not following these rules. My sister and her husband, divorced. My brother-in-law and his wife, separated. My parents, divorced. 
and both our families, my wife and I, are the only couple still together and the only couple who not, whose numbers are a match. A few months earlier, I had met a man in the place where all great romances begin, a Greek island. As we ate calamari on the cobbled streets of the old town and watched the sunset on a white sand beach, we both lamented how fleeting a travel romance could be. After keeping in touch via text for a couple of months, we decided to meet up again on another continent. I'd wanted to visit Ecuador ever since my roommate in university did a semester abroad in the Galapagos and came back with stories of endless blue seas and lumbering giant tortoises. The thought of exploring Ecuador, hiking through lush forests at high altitudes, and swimming with the sea turtles with my new boo was recklessly appealing. Before this rendezvous in Ecuador, I had laid down my concerns and expectations over a choppy video call. While I was excited to see him again, I didn't want him to uproot his life for a travel fling. He assured me he wasn't coming just for me, that he was taking time away from work anyways, that he was excited to explore a new country, and there is currently no shortage of things to explore in Banos. The small, the small valley town where we started our adventure together was teeming with life. We cycled to waterfalls and hiked to giant swings that make you feel like you're about to topple off the cliff with each push. Yet, when I'm busy, he's hesitant to do anything. Since he's been with me in Ecuador, his main interest has been hovering over my shoulder. While I write in cozy cafes with brightly woven tablecloths surrounded by an aroma of hot cocoa, he spends most of his days waiting until I'm ready to spend time with him, a window that's increasingly closing as I fill my days with work and solo trips to the hot pools hidden away in the corner of town. One day, on those rocks up there, I saw the image of the Virgin Mary crying, next to a dollar sign, the man in the hot pool tells me, pointing up to one of the rock faces that surround us, which is home to the skinny waterfall delivering mineral water to the springs. There is a rickety staircase leading up to a brick turret that allows visitors a closer look at the falls. I watch the small stream of people ascend to a poorer view, surely, than looking at the waterfall from a few meters away, before turning my gaze up to the place where he's pointing. Ever since that day, I have made a lot of money. Look, can you see her? She is there now. The only face I see is rock. I can't see it, I tell him, and he looks disappointed. I'm disappointed, too. With nothing left to say, now that I've missed the divine revelation and depleted my Spanish vocabulary, I leave the pool to get dressed and catch a bus with my odd-numbered romantic interest. I walk through the town to the bus station, taking in my last mountainous view before heading to the coast. I watch the cliffs with shades of green, emerald, jade, mint, tower above me as I cross over the river, kayaks floating below. It's as if the whole town is offering me one giant green light. When I arrive, I ask my date what year he was born, to be sure. It turns out I was wrong about the year. He is an even number. Is this why, although he crossed continents to see me, the thought of spending one more day with him fills me with dread? We board the bus, him, smiling, unaware that we are careening toward a messy breakup against the dark, crashing waters of the Pacific Ocean at sunset. It's written in the stars. Hello guys! So, the first article I'm going to read is an absolute blast from the past. It's one I dug out of my archives from 2009. I was 22, living in Dubai, writing for Celebrity Magazine, and it was coming up to Valentine's Day. So my Devil Wears Prada-esque editor tasked me with finding three eligible guys to go on dates with, the idea being that I'd find my Mr. Right. So here's the article. Finding my Mr. Right. He has to be at least five foot ten, 
good-looking and drive a silver Mercedes, according to a survey of 40,000 women taken by popular UK dating website www.ukdating.com. Mr Wright is clean-shaven, loves pets and has a wacky sense of humour. The study also reveals that women prefer a man who is university-educated, earns more than 150,000 dirhams per year and has never been married. So, after a succession of emotionally unavailable, phone-phobic Mr Wrongs, I decide it's time to find out if Mr Wright really lives up to all the hype. But how to find him? Tall, dark, handsome, funny, rich, intelligent, animal-loving men can't be easy to come across. And if they were, surely I'd be shacked up with one of them by now, being driven to work each morning in his shiny silver Mercedes. Moreover, the question remains, even if I did find him, would he be my Mr Wright? I choose to take the plunge and send round an email. Someone I know must know such a guy. And although I received several unconstructive replies, such as, if I knew a boy like that, do you think I'd hand him over to you? And even more discouragingly, good luck Ellie, I'm not giving up yet. As if by magic, date number one, a wealthy architect, lands in my inbox. Substitute silver Mercedes for dark blue Porsche 911, and on paper, I found Mr. Wright. Scott, 24, who I meet at Kempinski's 24-7, loves travelling, is a keen snowboarder, and, it transpires, was once working, albeit five years ago, on a project in the same tiny UK village where I was living. Isn't it a small world? We laugh knowingly. My chunky black bracelet catches his eye, and he declares that he could base the design of a skyscraper on it. Wow. He goes on to say that when he's married, he's going to design his own eco-sustainable villa, and I find myself momentarily wondering what it would be like to be married to a handsome architect who'd be willing to create a house based on my exact specifications, as well as turning me into a pro snowboarder. But finding my Mr. Wright after date number one would be too easy. And although Scott suggests meeting the next week so he can take me to ski Dubai, I'm hesitant to scream, yes please. He ticks all the boxes, but I'm just not sure if the spark is there between us. Date number two, I meet at the weekend. Eddie, also 24, is a tall, dark and handsome model, earns a decent wage and even went to uni. But I have to admit, I'm not holding out high hopes. Maybe I'm wrong. It turns out that he has read a couple of postmodern books, he plays lead guitar in a band, and modelling isn't what he envisions himself doing long term. And yet he doesn't make me laugh, and I mean really laugh, once during the evening. He's out. Roll on date number three. A wacky sense of humour is high on women's checklists when it comes to finding Mr. Wright, and my third and final date proves why. Tom is 28 years old, owns his own engineering company, and is really cute. I'll forgive him for being shorter than the requisite 5'10". We were introduced by a mutual friend who was convinced that we'd hit it off because we share the same slightly skewed sense of humour. I proceed to spend most of our date at Alhambra Alcacer, giggling like a schoolgirl at things that really aren't that funny. 
The special ham that the overly attentive restaurant manager insists we try. The tallest bellboy we've ever seen, and my awful taste in films. Armageddon, don't you know, is a movie classic. I like the fact that date number three is quite happy to make fun of me. And even though our opinions differ on lots of things, he likes house music while I'm more of an indie chick, and he hates seafood while I order the sizzling prawns. There's definitely a chemistry between us that was lacking on my first two dates. After dates one and two, I left thinking, he liked me more than I liked him, and was totally confident that he'd text me the following day. But as the taxi pulls away after my final date, I feel myself anticipating. Is he going to call? In case you were wondering, he did call. We fell in love, moved back to the UK, and then actually started our nomad journey together a couple of years later. We ended up being a couple for seven years, so while it's not exactly a happily ever after, it was not a bad result from writing a magazine article. So since that article was quite short, I thought I would read another one too. This one isn't about dating, but it is a lot more current. It's about nomading during the crazy year that has been 2020. And self-promo alert! You can also find it on my brand new website, nomadvoices.com. Okay, here we go. Nomading during a pandemic. In 10 years, if you ask any digital nomad where they were in March 2020, I guarantee they will have an answer. While most of our friends, family and colleagues were battening down the hatches, figuring out how to shift their work to their home offices and firing up Zoom for the first time, we had the opposite problem. We were all set on the remote work front, but where on earth were we going to do it from when we'd built a life around the fact that we didn't have a home? What's more, we only had a limited amount of time to decide. Borders were shutting, flights were being cancelled, entire airlines were going out of business. The freedom we live for, that ability to work from Vietnam one week and New Zealand the next, was abruptly taken away from us. The priority became getting somewhere we felt safe, and the anxiety of figuring out what that meant rippled through the nomad community. I remember not being able to concentrate on anything for more than a few minutes at a time. There was just one question running through my mind. Do I stay or do I go? Digital nomad Karen Stephen, a remote CFO who had been on the road for a year and a half, remembers feeling the same. While I was relatively settled in Bali, I'd been there for two months, she had just travelled from Mexico to India for a yoga course. I had a great deal of anxiety around the uncertainty of knowing whether I'd be able to get home, she tells me. I was looking into loads of different countries to go to. I could barely focus on my yoga course. We were supposed to be super chilled and zen, and all I could think about was, I need to make a decision about whether I change my entire lifestyle by flying, air quotes, home. Both of us decided, like many nomads I've spoken to this year, to return, initially at least, to our family homes. For me, that meant exchanging my fancy pool villa for my mum's tiny spare room. 
Stephen cut her month-long India trip short to head back to Scotland. After the most surreal journey of my life, the flight from Bali to Doha was empty, Doha to London was packed, London felt like a post-apocalyptic dystopia. I found myself settling relatively easily into a new routine in southeast England. I taught my mother and her partner how to use Zoom. They pretended they knew what a podcast was. We met for lunch breaks, watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and barbecued in the unseasonable sun. I went for a lot of long walks. Stephen also tried to look at the positives. It was the first time she'd managed to find proper productivity just working from home, no co-working spaces, and she felt safe and happy with her family. But she couldn't shake the feeling that this wasn't her life. It was this weird limbo situation, and there were a lot of days where I just cried because I missed the life that I knew. The travel life and my independent life was completely gone, and I couldn't get back to it because it didn't exist, she recalls. Angie Cole is a coach from the US who set out on her digital nomad journey in 2016. When the pandemic started, she was in the UK with her partner. Not only did I not have a choice to stay where I was, being a nomad is my identity. It's not just for six months, it's how my life works. I don't have a winter coat, she says. Cole ended up staying in the UK for as long as she legally could, before heading to Croatia, where she did the same, and most recently, Portugal. Travel used to be delightful, she says. The choice to move and pick where I was going to go and for how long. That used to be part of the fun and excitement. I loved that part. But overnight, it became dangerous and uncertain, and it felt like other people were in control of my movement. She couldn't even get information she trusted from the authorities she would normally count on. I got my permission to stay in the UK a month after I left and I don't know how many emails I've written to the Portuguese authorities and received zero response, she says. The systems didn't know what to do with us before, but they definitely don't know what to do with us now. She also realised that a lot of the strategies she has for her mental wellness are attached to wandering and freedom. I'm a nomad because I'm at my best when I get to be in that state, literally going out and wandering the streets. So a lot of the things I do to take care of my mental health were suddenly unavailable to me, she explains. On the upside, the pandemic has afforded her an opportunity she doesn't think she would have created for herself for a while. I got to feel nesty and settled in a way that only happens with six months instead of three, she smiles. I don't know if I would have chosen that for myself, but I decided to make the most of it and loved it. I began to see the same plants on the walk to the grocery store change and go through seasonal cycles. It took my breath away, realising how long it had been since I'd been in one place for long enough to appreciate those things. Veteran nomad Hannah Dixon, the creator of virtual assistant training programme Digital Nomad Kit, identifies... I realised that I'd seen so many awesome things all over the world for 12 years now, and yet here I was in Austria, where she'd rushed when the pandemic hit, catching one of the last trains into the country, sitting outside and enjoying the sound of the birds on a little terrace, she says. This year, she's thought a lot about what her idea of home is. 
While she always used to believe that home wasn't a place, it was a feeling. All these things we say, she grins. She feels good about having put a lease down on a place for a year and feeling somewhat settled. I have some certainty for the first time in a very long time, and I didn't realise I was lacking that, she says. Mirroring my feelings, and those of many other nomads, Dixon says the pandemic hasn't changed her mind about being a nomad, but she is going to dramatically change how she lives the lifestyle, spending year-long stints on different continents, rather than months. Her reaction to furnishing her new apartment indicates just how far she is from hanging up her nomad badge. I bought a sofa and was so excited about the sofa. Then I got home and I was in a bad mood for hours, she laughs. There was something in me rebelling against it. It meant I was really staying here. It's a strange up and down. Sometimes I'm great about staying put. Other times I want to get on the next flight to Mexico. Stephen has had the same inner conflict. After spending four months at her mum's, she travelled to Portugal for the summer and then a couple of months ago actually did find a way to get back to Mexico, one of the places on the planet she feels most at home. I've been asking myself, do I want to base? Where do I want to base? I definitely know I'm going to travel slower now, but I was planning on that anyway, she says. At the moment, I have mixed feelings between staying somewhere a bit more consistently and, when it's possible, going to the places I've been talking about going for years, like South Africa. We can't assume we're always going to be able to travel. My 2020 followed a similar trajectory to Stephen's. After three months in the bosom of my family, I flew to Germany to spend the summer with a close friend. Now I'm in Portugal, where I plan to stay. Until Brexit means I have to leave. I was reminiscing with a nomad friend the other day about a life-changing trip we took to Sri Lanka, and it occurred to me that if we'd had the same conversation 18 months ago, we might have spontaneously booked a flight to Colombo the next day to relive it all. I don't think I'll ever treat travel that lightly again, at least I hope not. Like Cole and Dixon, lockdown helped me appreciate the small things. A takeaway latte on a windswept British beach. Daily walks along the same hedge-lined paths. Family time. But it's also reminded me just how much I love being a nomad and how privileged I am to be able to live like this. So while I do plan to slow down and might even set up a home base to live in for part of the year, I certainly won't be putting down serious roots anytime soon. Now where's that vaccine? We hope you enjoyed this holiday special and we hope you're all going to have a wonderful, if not locked down, holiday season and new year. We'll be back in January with more episodes about the future of dating and how dating and relationships are looking in lockdown and for nomads around the world. If you have a wild dating story, send us an email to datingrodnomads at gmail.com. Or if you want to set one of us up on a virtual date, we'd be up for that too. We may or may not include clips of it for our patrons. That's right. You can also become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash dating abroad, where our tiers are named just as wittily as our segments. Benefits start from just $1 a month and range from bonus content too racy to air to monthly soirees and a coaching call with one of us about digital nomad life.
We now have seven amazing patrons, and here is our limerick about them. There once was a girl from Toronto who became our patron pronto. She was joined by a nomad who is definitely not a bromad. And we'll all be a family like the Sopranos. Then came a girl called Kiwi, who listens to our podcast in Germany. She was joined by a Brit with an eco-cleaning kit and a Swede who's a big fan of Bali. Next came a lovely Canuck, who met her beau underground by a truck. In came an unsettled man, the first male of our clan. And the rest will have to wait till we get our next patron. You could be the first patron of 2021. And as a reminder, you will be getting a surprise mystery gift if you join us. Our music is by the talented Lee Trung. Visit her website at leetrung.bandcamp.com. Our gorgeous logo is by Samina, who's on Instagram at Samina Scribbles. We're also on Instagram, dating underscore at underscore broad, and find us on Facebook at Dating Abroad Nomads. We hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to more in 2021. Bye for now. Bye. Toodaloo. Adios. See you next time. <laughs>